Welcome to episode six of the Creative Purpose Podcast. I am super excited to welcome today's guest, Caroline, from A Cared for Heart, LLC. I'm probably not supposed to say this, as I love all of my guests, but today's interview may be one of my favorites. We instantly clicked from our pre-interview, and I loved having her talk openly about everything. So please, let's welcome Caroline. Welcome. I want to welcome Caroline to the podcast today. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, awesome. So my name is Caroline Lee. I am the founder and primary coach behind A Cared for Heart LLC. So that is my personal coaching business that I do life coaching through. I primarily work with women and moms who are looking to really connect with who they are at their core and really develop a true sense of who they are, what they're passionate about, and what their real purpose in life is. So we cover a whole variety of things, including like self-care and self-worth. Um, I'm also a therapist in training, so I'm currently working on getting a master's in counseling, specifically in marriage and family therapy. Um, I'm a wife and I'm a mom of three awesome kiddos. And for the purposes of this conversation, I am a sexual trauma survivor of four different sexual traumas. Amazing. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Can you kind of tell me how your business started? Like what, yeah. what kind of brought you to that point? Okay, so I've wanted to be a therapist since I was about um, 16, and that was when I actually had my first regular therapist that I saw on a regular basis, and I just absolutely loved her. I loved what she was doing for me and how she was helping me in my life, and so coaching came about because in 2016, um, I created a five-year plan on how I was going to get into grad school and actually pursue this career as a therapist. And at the time, like I knew who Tony Robbins was. I was familiar with his work to some degree, but I started kind of dipping into that deeper. I was a I've always been a huge fan of Zig Ziglar, but a lot of people don't know who that is because his career was a few decades back. But um I was already sort of around coaches. Like I sort of had that sort of language and that sort of process in my life to some degree. But in the five-year plan that I'd created, I had decided to get certified in a protocol that's called HeartMath. So HeartMath is a self-regulation protocol that I actually was taught by a therapist when I was an undergrad that really transformed my anxiety issues. I did three sessions with him and I went from having anxiety attacks that were crippling once a week to not having any at all in just three sessions with this man. And so in 2016, that was really the first step into coaching was taking this certification course, getting my certification, and that's when I launched my LLC. Um, and so really coaching for me was really this wonderful intersection of like self-help, mental health, and personal growth that didn't require me having the tools and the knowledge and the certifications to go into someone's past and dig at that. Um, and I think often people get a little confused, so just, I'll, I'll digress just a little bit here, but I, I love the way one person put it one time was, therapy is being an archeologist. So you're digging into the past, you're discovering the past, you're trying to understand the past and put the pieces of the past together. Whereas coaching is architecture and you're starting from where you are right now and you're building upwards and you're building onward. And so it's, that's kind of the separation of the two. And so I sort of used heart math as my launch into really doing life coaching. Um, and I really only started doing life coaching coaching pretty consistently um, over the last year. And that's kind of where I've been focused most of the time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so I know that you talk about being a survivor. Um, mm -hmm. So would you be comfortable with kind of going into your background on that and how sure. you can bring that into your practice, right? How you can really help women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my uh, first sexual trauma took place when I was six. Um, and I was molested for two years, and then I had a secondary molestation that took place and actually overlapped on the initial one, um, and that one was uh, for just a few months, and um, the thing that I think about most, when, especially when I'm talking about, you know, being in victimhood versus being in survival, 
when I was six and that first molestation started, I did what I refer to as I got into my emotional straitjacket. Um, and I learned very quickly how to really sort of hide what was going on in my life and shut down. Um, and when I say shut down, I don't mean like I wasn't catatonic, obviously, but like I really was sort of emotionally closed off in a lot of ways. And this was very disruptive to my relationships for decades. Um, I struggled immensely with friendships because the initial molestation was by a friend. And so there was a very confusing understanding of friendship and what that means. And so I struggled in that space for a very, very long time, like probably up until right around my 30th birthday, did I start to sort of get a better understanding of friendship. Um, I was also sexually assaulted when I was 16. And then the final sexual trauma was when I was 24 and I was um, raped by one of my guy friends. And so a lot of this, for me, the theme of sexual trauma really held the component of someone I knew and trusted was taking advantage and taking power from my body. Um, and that was really sort of like the overarching theme of all of those, those traumas that I went through. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I like when okay. you talk about um, the emotional straitjacket because mm-hmm. I completely get that. Like there are still moments where I have a very hard time mm-hmm. with, um, especially with my spouse. And I think it's just because we're on a closer level, but there mm-hmm. are times that I really struggle with talking to him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, and when I met him, it was, it was about a year and a half after it happened but I had never dealt with it. Right. So I still had all of those issues. So, I mean, I, that to me, it just, it hits a chord because there, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with telling um, him my feelings. Um, I can get even with like my parents and sisters. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. always those moments where I catch myself and it's like, I really have to open up, but (laughs) you don't want to. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's so much fear about it and, you know, like, especially because, you know, from, from my experience, um, and, you know, especially considering I was so young when my first trauma took place, um, the way I think about things I'm only really understanding now is, you know, the functioning of a trauma brain. Um, but I think, when I think about that emotional straitjacket, what I think about is how none of my emotions made sense in most cases. The only time emotion made sense to me was when it was fear-based, pain-based, or like, no, just probably those two, like the fear and the pain-based. So like fear-based, like just being like straight anxious, straight worrying, or, you know, straight fear. I mean, like that cold fear that I know way too well, like that is physiologically imprinted in my body at this point. Um, and then the pain-based, that's, that's usually when I think about things like the depression that can come up or the grief that can come up. Like, I don't know about you, but I know for me that there are some times when I just cry because I'm like, I know the story of my life and it's, not rainbows and butterflies. And, and that's true for many people. And I think that we often don't understand that grieving that is important. Like that's mm-hmm. an important part of the process and that you don't just like grieve it one time and it's done. And then like you're, it's, you've got a bow on it and it's finished. It really is like, it's an ongoing process and some days are going to be harder than others. And it's really about what do you make in that moment? And you can't, you can't begin grieving. This is something that I learned until you acknowledge what happened. Yes. Because I had kept it a secret for so long for 11 years. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't acknowledge it. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, I knew it happened. Um, I knew all the emotions that I was going through, but because I didn't tell anybody and because it was my secret, I never actually acknowledged that it had happened. Right. And so I didn't start the grieving process. I didn't mm-hmm. go through any of that stuff. It was all denial, right? right? Up until that point. And then once I finally was like in 2014, when I shared the world, my story on my blog, 
that's when everything came crashing down, right? When right. all those blocks and everything really started to flood and where the grieving process began. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get that. You know, when I was raped, um, when I was 24, that was, you know, that was over 10 years ago. And um, I think that at that point, like this is sort of where the trauma brain component comes in. My brain shut down during the rape. I have very small snippets of what happened. Um, and it really, it's only because of the Me Too movement. And then hearing Amy Schumer speak out about her experience of being raped by her boyfriend, the great area rape for those who aren't familiar. But um, I don't know why her story triggered a release for me because it's not that I, I'm unfamiliar. I mean, I, I talk openly about sex and sexual assault and sexual trauma on a regular basis. It's not a topic I've been uncomfortable with, but for some reason her story struck such a chord that something, something shifted and unlocked in my brain. And I suddenly started experiencing flashbacks of this rape. And it, I mean, I can, it really felt like the world was crashing down around me. And I remember it like, I basically like emailed my therapist and I was like, I have to see you like yesterday. <laughs> like I need to get in today somehow. And um, I, I remember like really being in her office and really settling into the flashbacks and the memories and just that overwhelming grief. You know, I wasn't like going back into the memory and feeling fear. It was almost like even the memory was created based on grief. Like, oh my gosh, I'm here again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's um, uh, a show. Sorry, I was trying to look up the show quick because I forgot oh, the my... name. Um, completely that I understand with your triggering because mine was The Hunting Ground on Netflix. Oh, I, have I don't know if you've ever with that. seen it. Um, mm -hmm. I looked, so it was a 2015 documentary, but it talked because I was raped um, my first semester of university. Mm -hmm. So this documentary talks about university campuses okay. and like the huge epidemic of um, rapes that are occurring mm -hmm. and that they're going underreported because when right. they are reported, there's such um, mega backlash on the woman um, so mm -hmm. that was my trigger, triggering show. Um, I remember I bawled and yeah. like, I just, that was for me. And I like watching those. It's weird because I, I like watching those kind of documentaries because mm -hmm. it, it, it takes me back into those moments where I can remember how mm -hmm. I felt and I can really get it more out into words because there right. are, there are moments that I have blocked out. Right. right. Like you said. And I think having those types of shows where it can, it kind of triggers it again for me. Mm -hmm. And I can focus on the parts that I blocked out that will really help in the healing process. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I have to get it all out or right. I'm going to be stuck where I am and never get better. Right. And so yeah. that, that was a show that completely triggered me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like the last time that we talked, we really talked about um, something that we kind of hit it off on because I have actually been um, trying to write my book. And I mm -hmm. actually had a conversation yesterday with one of my friends because I sent my book that I have so far of written. And I was like, can you please read it and just tell me if it makes sense? Yeah. Um, so she read it and she got back to me. But my book is all about the year and a half after the rape itself. Mm -hmm. So it talks about what I actually went through because I think there's a huge disconnect with the Me Too movement. Yes. I love the Me Too movement. I love that it's brought women forward and saying, this is what happened to me. But I think that's it, right? Mm -hmm. We get all of these women coming forward and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what happens? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? What right. happens afterwards? Because now you have all these women saying, Yes, me too. But then what? <laughs> yeah, there's no connection right. after yeah. that, right? It's just kind of like, okay, well, now what? <laughs> mm -hmm. now, now, how do I do this? So I really like, um, we talked about staying in victimhood and um, that 
all of that. So can you really go into what you talk about when you talk about staying in victimhood um, and the power for the um, survivor and all of that? Yeah. um, So I think one of the things about victimhood that a lot of people are unfamiliar with is that for, for many people who are victims of sexual trauma or really any trauma, it is often very difficult for them to even be aware that they are in victimhood. Like there has to be an awareness that's generated and often that's only generated if one, you're talking about what happened and two, you're seeking some sort of help. Whether, whether that's through self-study, like through self-help books or with an actual therapist or coach, um, it just depends on the person. But I think that first generating that awareness that like this, the space and the mindset that you are living in is all based strictly on being a victim. Um, and part of the reason why I, I think that happens is because when we are victims of trauma, Um, what happens is our identity gets stolen in that. Whether we feel like our perpetrator actually stole it from us or we lose our identity to over-identification with the trauma. Um, None of that is to say like, stop doing that, that's a bad thing. It's more of this is just, this is just how it is. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Like it's not to cast judgment at all on a victim. Um, And I mean, I was there, been in, been in it for decades. Um, I think that part of getting from the shift of victimhood to, to survivor or even thriving in your life really requires being able to go into a space where you really understand what happened to you. You really understand who you are outside of that because you are someone outside of that and recognizing that that is where your self-worth lies. It does not lie in what was done to you by someone else and you don't own responsibility for what they did to you. I don't care what the context was. If somebody came in and took your power and took advantage of you and your body, that is not your responsibility. You in no way, shape or form are responsible or should feel guilty or ashamed of what someone else chose to do to you and it's always their choice to do it so we want to make sure where the responsibility is going where's the accountability going because when we're in victimhood we're owning that we're owning that responsibility and that accountability and so making that's part of that shift and that that personal work that has to be done Um, I think one of the things that I know really made a difference in making a serious shift from the two is that key component of knowing who you are and that 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 definition of who you are has nothing to do with anything outside of yourself it has everything to do with your internal core and we don't know that culturally most of the time because we understand things that our self-worth is based off of our appearance or what we do, what achievements we have, what roles we play in our lives, what career we have, whatever. I mean, like there's just like a list um, or, you know, how often we show up on social media. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, when we understand that our self-worth lies within, that is truly where our power lies. But it goes back to that initial component of, are you identifying with your trauma? Are you identifying with the victim of the trauma? Or are you able to separate so that you can heal and process the trauma and move into who you really are and own that power? Because that's what helps you reclaim your life going forward. And this goes back to what you were saying about the Me Too movement. In a lot of ways, we don't ever hear the this part of it. We don't hear about women who reclaim their power back. And that doesn't have to be in the form of like showing up in court, you Mm -hmm. know, because you've like filed charges against your perpetrator. Like that's not required to reclaim your power. Reclaiming your power is living your life as you 100% authentically without the baggage. Falling back in love with yourself, right? Yes. um, Oh yeah. You, you lose that, right? There's definitely um, the losing yourself and to try and figure my biggest struggle was after my rape occurred, I, I denied it. Right. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. until mine happened in 2003. 
it wasn't until 2014 when I shared what had happened, but even when I shared it, I was still at the point where I was looking for the girl that I was prior. Yeah. Right? I was looking for the 2003 version of me before mm-hmm. the rape because I didn't realize that I was never going to get her back. There right. was no way I was ever going to be that girl. There's always a before and an after, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a traumatic experience, who I am afterwards isn't bad, right? And right. that took a lot of, um, it took me over a year to figure that out, mm-hmm. that it wasn't because I'm not who I was before, doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I'm bad, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm tainted. It doesn't mean that I'm powerless. It just means that pieces of me didn't come with me to the mm-hmm. current form. Right. right? So, um, and even there, like, even their subtraction doesn't mean there isn't an, ad- an addition of something yes. else. An, an addition in a good way. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I like it. it's, um, and because with those 11 years, he still had the power. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was another thing that I learned was I figured that he walked out, my life went on, he was done, right? There mm-hmm. was, he didn't hold the power anymore, but it was through the self-love journey and through self-care that I really realized over those 11 years, he had complete control over right. me. He wasn't in the room. He didn't even live in the same state and same country that I did, but mm-hmm. he still had 100% power over me. Right. And I think that we, especially if you are a non-victim, non-survivor, mm-hmm. I think that you feel that once it's over, the power's gone, right? That right. he doesn't have the power anymore. So you can just come on now, right? Move on, right. get over it. Yeah. But there it's is time to let it go. power struggle. Right. Right. Until you come to terms with it, until you say enough is enough. And for me, that really took me and people get, I don't want to say angry, but they don't really understand it. I had to forgive him. Yeah. So hundred well, percent. Yeah. I had to finally say, you know what? I actually wrote a letter. I never sent mm-hmm. it, but I wrote it out to him because one thing that I blocked was his name, right? Mm. We were on a date, but for some reason, it's something that I cannot remember for the life of me. Right. But I wrote him a note and I said, I forgive you and all of this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But it took me writing that and saying it out loud for him Mm -hmm. to lose all the power. He has no control over me anymore. He has no power over me sharing my story and becoming who I am now versus who I was in 2014, right? Mm -hmm. Or 2003 and all of that, right? It makes such a huge difference to say no more, you don't have the power. And that doesn't, it doesn't come with just part of the power comes gaining your power back comes from saying, this is what happened. Yeah. But you don't gain it all back from just saying that. Right. No. And I mean, I think that there's a multitude of steps that, that kind of come through the process of getting your personal power back after you've been sexually traumatized in some way. And I 100% agree with you on the forgiveness piece. Like I have, um, literally like in a room by myself sat there and visualized each person who has traumatized me one at a time. And I mean, I wouldn't call it a conversation cause it's not like I expect like was envisioning a dialogue with them, but I literally just told them like, here's what you did to me. Like, here's what you did physically to me. This is what it did to me emotionally. This is what it's done to me psychologically. And here are the ramifications I've had to live with while you've probably gone on and never thought twice about it. Yep. And like really letting that anger be present because it's there, right? Like, and part of allowing that anger to process and allowing it out is acknowledging it, right? And being able to sit in that space and in, like envision the other person in front of me and tell them these things and also say, I forgive you. And I forgive you not for you, but I forgive you for me. Yep. Because I'm the one, I'm the person who got hurt here and I deserve it. I deserve to forgive you and I deserve to forgive myself for any self-blame that I've held. 
Mm -hmm. I like how you broke it down where, because it wasn't just physical, right? Mm -hmm. That you got the psychological, um, everything else. Um, I want to add another step to that is what happened afterwards. Yeah. That probably wouldn't have happened if it didn't happen. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Oh no, absolutely. For me, that was meeting my husband. I probably never would have met my husband if that hadn't occurred. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that means that everything after that point, my kids, um, where I live, like all of this stuff kind of compounds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think also adding on top stuff that happened because it happened, like positive things because it happened also plays a part into that forgiveness. Role. Right. And I think part of and correct me if this is not what you think, but just hearing you say that to me, that sounds like when you do that, when you're able to say like, here are the things that came after you, it's also being able to say like, I didn't die. I didn't, I did not like, I did not leave my life because of you. Instead, here's what I did with it. And here's how I'm going forward. Yeah. And then you've got that component. Yeah. That really plays into the power, right? I didn't give into the darkness because it was there. Mm-hmm. And it was tugging on yeah. me hard. Yeah. But at the end of the day, here I am. This is what I'm doing now. And it's because of you, right? Right. Because of you, I am who I am today. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, I don't give him all the credit. Right. Right? Because oh, yeah. uh-uh. he did what he did. He doesn't get credit. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's me. I pulled myself yeah. out. And there here I am, right? I'm mm-hmm. finally a whole again mm-hmm. um, because I'm not a victim. And I think that's right. a huge part, right? It's um, moving past that and really getting into the um, survivor. It's a club that you don't want to be a part of. But it is a club you don't want to be a part of. That's very true. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are many, yeah. many women in this club that we yeah. don't even know, right? That don't yeah. come forward and are secretly holding it in um, so do you have any steps to take to really kind of begin that transition? Because it is a transition. It's not mm-hmm. just an overnight thing. It takes years and years. Um, like I said, there are moments that I'm still working on, um, yeah. stuff that I'm still dealing with. And that was what, 2003. So that's almost this year will be 17 years already. And I'm yeah. still working on it. I think, um, that it's important to say that it never goes away, that it's mm-hmm. always going to be, even when you, even when you do the healing and you do everything that you're supposed to, right. I think there's still a piece of us that will always have that. And I think mm-hmm. women that are still stuck in the victimhood, I think expect it to go away a hundred percent. And I mm-hmm. think we're led to believe that um, it will. And yeah. as a survivor, it doesn't, it doesn't ever go away. Right. I think actually, like, um, I mentioned, you know, before we started recording that I had like a, some personal realizations very recently about this yeah. specifically. Um, so because I was so young when my traumas took place, I sort of fit the mold for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, because that's something that takes place in early childhood. And one of the things that I'm really understanding now, and I, like, just to be clear, I don't have a formal diagnosis, but um, I'm sort of working within that framework right now. Um, one of the things that can often happen for victims of sexual trauma, and you're probably familiar with this, um, is there is a part of you that start, starts to depersonalize the world around you. And for me, um, and again, I'm still really early into this part of the work, but um, for me, what I understand is that I have been doing that in my in my brain for almost 30 years, which means I have 30 years of memories that, that don't feel like mine. So there's this pretty big disconnect. And it's also part of the reason why I don't have a great memory because there it there's like, a, like uh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I stuttered there, but it's, it's almost if you think about it, like the neurons and the synapses, they're not firing in a full connection. So mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, there's a, a skip and yep. so the memory doesn't hold right. Um, so I kind of want to throw that out there because that really is sort of that component that you're talking about that doesn't really go away. While there's a lot of brain healing that can be done, um, 
there, it is a daily journey. Um, and some days are a lot easier than others, right? Some days you're not even going to think about it as a journey and you're going to think like, oh, man, I've just, today feels amazing. And I'm like hundred percent me and everything is present. And then there are going to be other days when it's, it's really difficult to even do the work. Like mm -hmm. you just don't want to do it. Um, I had one of those days recently when I was just like, I'm so sick of doing the work. Like I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's fair. Um, so as far as steps go, so, I mean, I think the first one is exactly what you did. You've got to find a way to share your story, whether that is just in a journal, because mm -hmm. I, I know victims of sexual trauma who literally cannot say the words. They yeah. can't even type the words out. Like they can't write it in a journal. They, it's just not possible. Their brain just shuts down. Um, and so I think that it's finding some format that you can safely share your story. And, you know, one of the things that I recommend if like for women or even men who, or anyone on the binary scale for sure, but like if there is any struggle with speaking the words, writing the words or typing the words out, then try to do it through art. Like there's a reason why art therapy is so powerful. Same thing with music therapy. If you're a musician and you don't have a mechanism for sharing the words through text or talk or um, writing, try and play it out through music. Try and go into that space and create music from there and see what happens. Because sometimes it has to go slow. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I don't think sharing your story means it has to be shared with a thousand people yeah right? sharing your story can like you said be in your journal right just yeah. get it you have to get it out of the head yeah right? and that yes and in fact like there is um like Brene Brown talks about this but there's a uh a clinician I want to say at UT who's done studies on the impact of expressive writing for trauma particularly for uh victims of trauma and what they found was victims of trauma who wrote about the experience for 15 minutes, like four times over the period of like two weeks or something like that, those people actually progressed faster um, and more efficiently through their healing journey than those who did not. And so I really like journaling 100%. I fully support that. I think it's a great mechanism for getting your story out and repeatedly writing about it does have a positive impact on the healing journey. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think that's definitely like step number one. I think step number two would be, um, at least from my perspective, I, I did so much healing in relationship through relationship. And so that was through my relationship with my husband who started out as my best friend um, and through my therapist and I've been with her for six years off and on. Um, but I mean, the work that I do with her is incredible. Um, and by being able to develop these two relationships that were really centered on security and trust and really open communication started to help rewrite my understanding of relationships in a way that I, I hadn't understood before. I mean, I was, I was pretty much a pathological liar for most of my life because that was part of my emotional straitjacket mm -hmm. and that was part of my survival. Yep. Um, so I definitely think finding a relationship, um, I always will recommend a therapist for trauma because I think that's, that's incredibly crucial, um, particularly for past trauma. Um, so I think those are probably the first two steps. I mean, do you, what do you think? I'm curious about your thoughts on this too. Um, yeah. Um, I, I agree with the first step, I think. Um, and that's huge. That is why I do what I do. Um, and that mm -hmm. is why I started this blog or this podcast. And that's the reason why I started blogging was because I wanted women to see that sharing your story not only healed yourself, Mm -hmm. but it heals those that are listening to it, right? Those yeah. that aren't at that stage and they're not ready to share it, but the more that they hear you share yours, that's mm -hmm. going to start to heal them and empower them to share theirs. Yeah. Right? So it's, there's the two sides of sharing your story is now you're not only healing you, 
you're healing the women that are listening and watching and waiting yeah. <laughs> to get on, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge step. Um, and for me, it was really kind of rediscovering myself was the next mm. step. And by that, yeah. it was really um, bringing in self-care. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it was a relearning process because everything that I did prior didn't bring me joy anymore. Mm-hmm. So I really had to focus on who I was in this moment and what it was that brought me joy. I tried things that I used to do and realized that, oh, doesn't really, doesn't make me happy mm-hmm. anymore. Right. Yeah. So that really helped me rediscover who I was and really helped me bring, bring my thoughts to the present me, not the mm-hmm. old Samantha, not the Samantha that I wished I was. It brought me to the Samantha that I am. And yes. it really helped me to focus and say, okay, this is where I am in the time. This is what I'm doing. And that helped bring the self-love because now I'm relearning about myself mm-hmm. and I'm rediscovering who I am. And then for me, because I had my kids already during this whole process, they are now discovering who their mom is. Right. right? So now they get to see kind of a before and after. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they saw me doing the struggling and now they're like, well, now mom doesn't struggle with this kind of stuff. And it's allowed us to really talk about the self-love and the self-care it opens that communication up with me and my kids yeah um they don't know my story um they they for me i'm my son is now 12 so he's getting to the age where i know that there's going to be questions right? right and that's one of my big what that is the part that i struggle with the most because we are they're going to start asking about my first time, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to start having questions. Um, and we are already very open. Like we right. talk about whatever, and that's very important for me and my kids. Um, but it terrifies me because that was my first time. Right. Yeah. So trying to, um, that is also another healing step that I'm trying to really figure out. And that's a trigger, Right. Right. Um, especially now that my son's gone through sex ed, right? That was like <laughs> a huge, like learning curve for me. Yeah. Uh, but for sure, the steps, I love the sharing the story. And for me, it was self-care and self-love and forgiveness. Yeah. Those were the big, huge three steps because I had to learn who I was and I had to learn how to love who I was, mm-hmm. not who I used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, you know, when I talk about like healing in relationship through relationship, that's part, a big part of that for me was um, learning self-love and self-care because I think that for me, I'd been so disconnected from who I was for so long. Like I never had, you know, like you have some kind of identity when you're like a teenager and when you're in your early twenties, I didn't have that. Um, because I was so disconnected for so long and I was, my brain was depersonalizing and I was struggling with intrusive thought for so long. And so, um, for me, like, um, do you mind if I just sort of like tangent for a second? Um, so when I, when I was best friends with my husband, um, I had like made this decision that like, I wasn't going to like date anyone anymore unless he was husband material. And, um, I had, I had had like a couple of relationships through college, nothing really serious. Um, I mean like really like the running joke was if a guy made it to the third date with me, he was lucky because I often like cut it off real quick. I just like first date. Okay. You're boring. I'm done. Um, so I one day sat down and just like prayed for the longest time and was just like, I am going to write down what my husband is going to be like. And I came up with, I don't know, it was something like 47 different things. And I remember it was, well, it was over 40 for sure, but it was 40 some, some odd qualities I wanted in a husband. 
And I went to watch one of my husband's soccer games one day and he kicked a soccer ball, made a goal, and it became like a lifetime movie moment for me because this was one of the first moments in my life where I had like a true memory. And I remember how like the sun was hitting him perfectly and it was like everything went to slow-mo as he was like cheering for himself. He was so excited. And I realized in that moment that I'd fallen in love with him. And I got in my car, I drove home and I cried the whole way. And I got home and I pulled out my journal where I'd put this list and I went through the list because I told myself, if he doesn't meet at least 75% of this, I'm not going after this. He met every single thing on there except for one, one thing. And I was like, okay. And I was very ill-prepared for that. But that's to say, because of that, because he was so much the person that I needed, um, I, I discovered through our relationship like what it meant to be unconditionally loved in a way that I'd never understood. And I can't explain like why this was the person my brain was sort of like, hey, I can put all the trauma stuff aside for a little bit and just hone in on this person. But he, he is the only person in my life where I, most of my memories are not depersonalized memories. My memories with him are true and real to me. And I think because of that, and also just so we're clear, I am not recommending that everybody go out and just like fall head over heels and love with somebody to heal. Like I don't, I'm not recommending that. As much as like I'm a hopeless romantic, I don't know if that makes sense for people. But for me, um, because he was somebody that I could just unbelievably trust on a level that I'd never understood before. And without fail, he consistently met me with compassion and understanding. Like he knows everything there is to know about me. And not once has he batted an eye at it every time he's been there for me consistently. And I think the fact that even in the beginning, like when we were just friends, that was his approach to me that provided with me with like that mirror that we often need to see ourselves. So I could see my true self through him. Yes. And that was something I'd never experienced. I love that because I, there's one saying that drives me absolutely crazy. And it's okay. that you can't love someone until you love yourself. Uh-huh. I absolutely hate that because it was because my husband loved me at my darkest times I grew to love who he saw, right? Mm -hmm. I learned that I was worthy of love, that um, he loved me despite all of the crap that I went through because he knew. He was one of the only people that I actually told. And how my husband and I met was we met online. Mm -hmm. Not on purpose. It was, um, I was going to university and I had posted an ad saying that I wanted someone to show me around because I didn't know anybody. And it had been after, uh, after the rape. Mm-hmm. So I posted an ad and said, please, I'm new. Can someone just kind of show me around campus? I'd really like to meet some people. And he actually sent me a message. So I'm from the U.S. He is from Canada. Okay. He sent me a message and it was like, I don't know where you live, but here's my phone number and call me. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of random, right? So I kind of put it at the back burner. But then it was like probably five to seven days. And I'm like, well, nobody else has messaged me. Mm-hmm. So why not? I'm just going to call this number and see what happens. Yeah. And the second that I spoke to him, I don't know what it was. I don't know. There, there's no logical explanation. Mm-hmm. But I knew. Like the second we started talking and the first time we talked, it had to be three to four hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, I told him at the end of the call that we were going to get married. And no, I, you did not. I did. because I, I love said, that. There was something and I, I can't explain it. And it was the next, I can't remember if it was the first, I think it was the next call that I said before we get any more emotionally attached because I was. Um, Mm -hmm. this is what had happened to me. So he was the first one 
but and I think it was because because he was in Canada there mm-hmm. wasn't that expectation of him getting something from me mm-hmm. right he wasn't yeah. going to take anything because we didn't live close right so he couldn't take that away from me yeah and so I remember telling him and him being like okay well and his reaction was like well that's really not someone something you tell someone on your second phone date right <laughs> but, <laughs> but we once we met in person like three months later there was he knew but when there were the moments of triggers mm-hmm. he like completely knew how to handle them oh that's amazing and um so i i i am a big believer that just because you don't love who you are in the moment that you can't allow someone else in to love you because mm-hmm. I think that there's a huge learning curve. Um, mm-hmm. You learn how they see you and mm-hmm. you, like you said, it's that mirror, right? Yeah. You're seeing yourself the way that they see you. Yeah. And I think that is a huge, that is a huge um, point in a journey, especially when you are a survivor mm-hmm. that, people don't see the broken pieces, right? That's not, right. because that's what you feel, right? You right. feel like That's what you feel and that's what you see all yes. the time. Yes, even yeah. because even though nobody knew what had happened, I still felt like they could pick it out. Like, right. they'd be like, you know what? She is definitely a rape survivor. Oh yeah. Right? And yeah. he didn't get that, right? He, mm-hmm. that's not at all what I got from him. So that kind of helped me. I mean, my healing process was still, years and years away mm-hmm. but he allowed me to open up before I opened up to myself right so I yeah think- I mean I think that's the biggest thing and you know I mean I love this idea of having a mirror and I think that having a mirror isn't something like just so you and I have had like these these really beautiful circumstances right with our husbands that Mm -hmm. provided us that opportunity and I think too though that like people can have that opportunity in the right relationship even if it's not a romantic one right like there are plenty of people who find that mirror with their therapist I mean that's pretty much what the therapist is there for anyway but right so like there are some people who find it that way there are some people who are going to find it through a best friend or a sibling right or even like a parent yeah you know the the myriad of ways that you can find that mirror and the mirror that's going to reflect back who you are and not the pain that you're carrying. That's huge because you're, you're absolutely right in that really understanding who you are at your core. I mean, like it's part part of the reason why like my whole coaching business is like based off of this, knowing who you are at your core is not just going to be your place of power. It's also your place of healing. And so if you can get there, I mean, really, I, when I try to explain to people what it's like to be able to tap into who I am and really sit authentically in who I am and know that space, I don't really have great words for it because Mm -hmm. it's, it's so difficult to describe that experience. I usually tell people like, when I'm in that space, I feel like I'm lit up like a sparkler. Because it's literally like all of the power, all of the healing, there's joy there, there's peace there, there's creativity, there's resilience. Like I often, you know, relate to the, the story of the phoenix, you know, this mystical bird that just bursts into flames and then rebirths through that flame. And I think that's part of the thing that I really would love for trauma survivors to understand is that this work is scary. I'm like, I'm not going to lie about that. It's scary. It's hard. It's painful. That is the reality, right? That is the, that is the true story about healing. It is not pretty. It's not pretty. It is not. It is legit. Like mascara down your face, your lipstick is messed up. Like don't even worry about your hair. Like just go into it. But the reality is, is that healing is the process of the Phoenix. We burst into flames. We lay on the floor. We cry our eyes out. We tear paper. Maybe we throw a thing or two. I don't know. I might have done that a couple times. Um, you know, we, we do these things and we're doing what we can to process and we're doing what we can to heal. And what comes out at the end is this new mystical bird that is the same bird just shifted a little bit. So maybe one of your tail feathers is blue instead of red. Maybe the, you know, 
your coffee shop of choice is going to shift a little bit because you've changed just a little bit and that other vibe just doesn't suit you. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. None of that is bad. It's a shift and it's a shift in a direction that's going to be more authentic, more safe, more whole than you were before. I love that. I think we could talk all day. Um, yes, that's true. That's <laughs> so absolutely true. How about you tell us, do you have anything um, special, um, like any courses, any workshops, um, any programs that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, I actually have a few things. So um, like one thing I do um, one-on-one coaching primarily um, and that is a 12 week long program. So that program is really specifically focused on getting to know who you are at your core, learning how to tap into that space and really understanding who that person is. And so there's like a whole framework to it, but part, parts of it include things about self-worth, self-love. We definitely create a self-care program that is 100% pers- personal for the individual. Um, I don't have like any prescribed self-care for people because I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also another component of the mother wound in that space as well. And that applies or it doesn't, it just depends on the individual. And so, and since we're talking about sexual trauma, sometimes sexual trauma work comes up in this as well. Um, that's my primary program that I work through. I also have a workbook available on my website. It's called the Know Thyself Workbook. So that is the like foundational pieces of my coaching work that I do. That's just in a workbook format for individual study that people are more than welcome to grab um, off the website. On Facebook, I also have a private Facebook group. Um, that group, what we've been doing the last couple of months has been interesting. We've been taking a singular topic and I focus all of the coaching on that. So this month, it's all self-worth. February was all self-compassion work. Um, and this, I really think the self-worth work is going to last probably into April. So April won't have its own topic. Mm-hmm. Um, self-worth will just kind of flow into April and then we'll take sort of like a couple of weeks to just like round table discuss things. Um, I do have a female sexual empowerment course in the works, um, but it's not ready to launch yet, but that is, that is coming and people can follow me on Facebook or join my group to get more and information on that. What is your username on Facebook? Uh, it's Caroline Como Lee. Um, so Como, C-O-M-E-A-U-X and then Lee Perfect. is L-E-E. Okay. Yeah. I'll have it all anyway, the links that okay. they can grab. Um, Great. But yeah, um, I want to thank you. I loved our conversation today. I think it's going to help a whole lot of different people. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I can't wait to send everybody to your stuff because I am going to be um, joining your group and all awesome. of that. Awesome. Yeah. So, oh, I'd love to have you. I can't wait. Yes, I look forward to it. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. And I hope we talk again. Yeah, definitely. I want to thank you for joining today's show. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Thank you again to Caroline for joining me and we will have to do it again soon. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Rachel from Soul Pioneer.